Welcome to Market Scale Energy. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the opportunity to have a conversation with a professor of chemical engineering at the University of Michigan, and he's the director of Refresh, John Schwenk. How are you today? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you, Sean. Now, I feel like, should I address you as Dr. Johannes, Dr. Schwank? My first name, that would be about right. Perfect. So, I've always interested in the varying layers that are an integral part of a program such as the Refresh program. There is the science side of it, but... In those calculations, you add in the additional factor of the human side. So do me a favor. Just give me a description of what you're aiming to accomplish with the Refresh program. Well, I'm glad to do so, Sean. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to uh, explain a little bit more about this rather unique program. Uh, Just as a brief uh, introduction, what the Refresh program is, our university is celebrating It's 200 years of existence, and as part of the celebration, the university decided to invest uh, resources into uh, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary projects uh, that have global impact potentially, and are of a nature that one would not normally get funded through a traditional funding channel like federal government agencies. And so to make the long story short, I led a winning team that uh, was um, on the receiving end of a very generous grant from our provost's office. And um, it resulted in this um, Refresh program being established. Where Refresh is an international team of educators and researchers, not just from the University of Michigan, but also from colleagues in other universities. In our case, in Gabon is a representative for Africa, in Kazakhstan representing Central Asia. And what what, uh, the overarching uh, uh, idea was to work about on projects that improve the livelihoods of resource-constrained communities. You might find these communities locally in our inner cities. You might find them in developing countries. And so our focus was to develop new approaches to finding effective solutions for sustainable energy, clean water, and food security, because those three things are closely intertwined and linked. You cannot separate them. And you asked a very interesting question about aspects beyond the technical. Although I happen to be a chemical engineer, the team that I'm leading is a an extremely broad footprint, including people uh, with a background in anthropology. We have linguists on the team. We have civil engineers on the team. We have uh, uh, people who are um, involved in fisheries, who are involved in water treatment, and so on and so forth. And one of the most successful outcomes of our project, which has now been running for four years, has been our approach, where in contrast to many other, quote unquote, interventions where a team of uh, people goes into a developing country uh, with good intentions to to, uh, improve the situation there, our approach has been a very humble one, where we recognize that 
in communities, even if they're very impoverished, there's a lot of wisdom there. And so we embraced a collaborative effort, co-inventing solutions, identifying problems that we can tackle together, and then solving them together. Let me give you a sort of a drastic, if I may just give you a, a drastic example of this. Absolutely. Um, in, in, in Gabon, uh, we work with a lot of rural communities. Um, we're operating out of the campus of the Albert Schweitzer Hospital in Lamborene, and then have reached out to many of the surrounding villages. And we discovered, of course, there are a lot of indigenous languages. There are actually 10 or so language groups that, again, splinter out into multiple local dialects. And one of our colleagues from a university in Gabon, who is part of our team, is currently developing a lexicon letting the people in these uh, rainforest villages name items that are of a technological nature. For example, they have no concept, they have no word for cell phone or for solar panel. And what we recognize is unless these communities take possession by naming these things, these technologies cannot really uh, diffuse into these communities. And so I, I hope this gives you sort of an idea of our approach that combines very much hands-on practical skills training with a um, very strong collaborative foundation where we are bringing the communities together and where we are uh, willing where we are accepting essentially inputs and wisdom from the local population with the understanding that they can teach us something that we don't know, rather than coming in with an attitude that we know better. So we essentially, um, uh, by uh, embracing this very open and very dialogue-oriented give and take, uh, I think we have cemented extremely strong and very practical and fruitful relationships that ultimately translate into significant improvements in the livelihood of the people concerned about. That's a unique approach in the world of developed countries trying to provide solutions to underdeveloped countries. I've always felt that what someone in Chicago considers success might not be what someone in Kazakhstan considers success. There is a local level of the way you quantify success. And to approach that situation in the way and the spirit that Refresh is approaching it in with that humility and actually having a dialogue with the communities that you're trying to assist and asking them, what is it that you need? What is it that you feel is important? As opposed to, as you said, just walking in and thinking you're knowing everything. That's a, that's a pretty unique approach, but it's probably very challenging to get a large group in an industrialized nation to adhere to that policy. Is that a challenge that you face? Oh, absolutely, because it's a mindset that needs to be changed, right? And so uh, even uh, you know, on, on the ground, it is a challenge. For example, to make something like this possible, we had to have people embedded on the ground for many, many uh, weeks in, at a time. We had some of our students 
living in those rainforest villages and getting to know people personally. And then we uh, identified individuals who were interested in working with us and we brought them together in a large workshop at the Albert Schweitzer Hospital where we had close to 100 people representing 16 villages. So this was a rather unique um, event. This is sort of another example of a different approach. Uh, on, at this workshop that we conducted in May of 2016, we had not only representatives from 16 rainforest villages there, they were rubbing elbow with academics from the local universities in Gabon, who, by the way, had never met each other. The different universities had never worked together. So this is the first time that the academics from different universities in the country met each other. In addition to this, we had people from non-government organizations, for example, from the national parks, from the wildlife fund. Uh, we had people from the local government represented. And this led to a very, very interesting um, uh, exchange of ideas where everyone had a say in it. And uh, it was, for example, one of the first times that the villagers could explain to the uh, local authorities why they were concerned, for example, about the wildlife destroying their farms. And uh, the national park people, of course, want to preserve the animals. And so there's this human wildlife conflict. And so we worked together and figured out what could we as a team now do to lower those tensions between the rural community and the government officials and is there a technology that we could use that would allow them to farm their farmland without having to worry about uh, getting their crops destroyed? And so as an example, we worked with them on a combined strategy to use electric fencing, coupled with deploying beehives that the elephants don't like. And it turned out to be a very successful demonstration. It actually works. So this lowered essentially the, the tensions between the rural communities and the um, uh, national park rangers who needed, who have, of course, as their uh, uh, task to preserve the animals. And so this just shows how a solution like this can only be achieved if you have everyone sitting around the table. But this is very rarely done in an academic setting where we, we kind of talk to our own echo chambers in academia. And so this was quite a, an experience. And ever since we have operated this way that we bring communities together to co-create uh, solutions and um, then translate this into something very practical. One of the interesting concepts I think that you deal with is the definition of technological advance. For a country that is would be considered undeveloped, a windmill would be a seismic jump, technologically speaking, and would be ultimately more helpful to them than, say, immediately going in and building a large hadron collider. There's really a, a degree of common sense and step-taking that needs to be a definite part of the process. Not only that, it's actually, you're absolutely right. Um, 
what we perceive happening right now, especially in, in Africa, it is a unique uh, historic opportunity because for all practical purposes, vast areas of Africa and large uh, percentages of their population are currently off-grid or at best linked to an unreliable electric grid. What this allows us to do is to develop and deploy entirely new concepts of highly distributed microgrid technology, solar-based primarily. And this then has dramatic, like you say, dramatic consequences, because let's imagine uh, you install a small solar-based microgrid in a rural community that is off-grid. This then allows cell phone communication, which allows banking, which allows um, uh, trading of crops, which allows long distance diagnostics through the internet uh, in terms of uh, crop uh, management and crop disease prevention. And it also opens up from a public health perspective, a tremendous opportunity for uh, remote medical diagnostics and so on and so forth. So we are starting to now bring in our medical school from the University of Michigan and maybe also some nursing, some midwifery and, and um, uh, limited um, uh, obstetrics and limited uh, ultrasound. And so a little bit of electricity goes a tremendous long way. And uh, Africa, not being hardwired, so to speak, allows now to rethink entirely how we deploy our energy systems. And this then also opens up tremendous economic opportunities because you bring a little bit of electricity and clean water into a community. This then allows entirely new agricultural practices to be developed. Um, uh, it allows also small businesses to thrive because now they have access to equipment, machinery that they can use for production. So a lot of what we are doing is not just bringing technology, but we're also partnering with our business school, in particular with an institute at our university called the William Davidson Institute. And what we are doing there is we are not just talking about innovative educational methodologies, but we are also talking about a program of entrepreneurial education, which is really aimed at launching and managing uh, energy-related enterprises. And so, for example, uh, we recently had a team on the ground that did a landscape in, in Gabon. They did a landscape analysis of re the renewable energy market in that country. And they identified by talking to a lot of uh, 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 stakeholders, what are the opportunities for the development of, a com of commercially viable business models in the renewable energy sectors? And uh, this required, of course, understanding the demand for renewable energy, uh, what kind of resources can people bring to the table to uh, make this happen, what are the customer segments, and so on and so forth. Right? And now as the next step, we, I just returned from Gabon last week, and we are now uh, entering the next phase where with funding from the World Bank and the African Development Bank, and some uh, private entrepreneurs in Africa, we are uh, uh, starting to establish an institute called RICE, which is the Refresh Institute for Sustainability Education. And what this institute will do 
This is not going to be run by the University of Michigan. It is run by the local academic community. Uh, but we are providing uh, uh, our participation in terms of educational module development, curriculum content, uh, and also modeling some of the teaching methods that are like the flipped classroom practical experience, hands-on training. And so let me give you an illustration of how this would work. In this country, there in Gabon, there are currently uh, a large, large number of unemployed youth. Many of them are not uh, fully schooled. They have not even uh, finished high school. So they are, at this point, uh, not able and not really employable even by local industry. Now, they don't have the luxury and resources to go for a four-year academic training program. Our approach is totally different. They can come to our Rice Institute, and for example, a young person is interested to become a solar entrepreneur. So they come in, they will receive a bilingual French and English three-week full immersion, hands-on course on basics in electricity and electrical engineering. Then they take a three-week full immersion, high-intensity course on solar technology. What are solar panels? How does one install them? How, what's the control system like? Uh, how about battery storage of uh, the, the power generated and so on and so forth. Then they go to a third three-week course where they get a basic crash course in entrepreneurship and then they get accompanied by a team of entrepreneurs helping them start their own business throughout the next year of their, uh, if, they, if they apply now what they have learned. So there's a follow through where we accompany them. And we have similar um, uh, courses in water related technology, recycling of plastics, recycling of metals, recycling of bio waste, uh, biomass to energy and so on. So we have all sorts of modules like this. It will allow people in the course of a few months to come up to speed to a point where they can run a small business on their own or work for a company in that industry. Well, it sounds like you have quite a busy day uh, for the next foreseeable future. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with Dr. Johannes Schwank. He is a professor of physical chemistry and chemical engineering. He is the holder of the James and Judith Street Chair in Chemical Engineering and the director of the Refresh program. Dr. Schwank, thank you so much. I wish you continued success, and I really do appreciate you taking time for me today. Well, thank you so much, Sean. This was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.